Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst. I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us once again for this podcast, where you're going to hear a sermon from me uh, as we continue in our series on Galatians. And uh, we're moving into the second part of, uh, I guess, maybe more the middle part of Galatians chapter 3. It's more of an obscure passage, kind of, um, but we're going to be focusing mostly on this question of the law. Why was the law given if eventually Jesus was going to show up anyway? So I encourage you to listen to this one. Also, I want to invite you to give to Life Church to increase our ability to to make an impact in our community in a variety of different ways. If you want to learn how that's done, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org slash give and find out how your giving makes an impact. There's also some steps for you to be able to give if you would like to do so. And uh, we appreciate your generosity in that way. Uh, Also, you can subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. And um, I do want to give you one announcement. If you listen to this before Wednesday, June 23rd, uh, we are having a family movie uh, event. So if you have a young family, young kids, uh, or students, uh, we're going to be watching Inside Out together, outside on our pavilion. And then afterward, we're going to invite our students, middle school and high school students, to stick around and Uh, sort of talk and process through uh, emotions a little bit, uh, which we think is a healthy thing to do, especially in this climate um, uh, where we're at with mental health and with young people. Um, So I want to invite you to that. You can mark your calendar and uh, we'd love to see you there. Uh, Now enjoy the sermon. Hello and welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Roger said it before, I'll say it again. Happy Father's Day. If we have any fathers in the room, uh, we're grateful for you. And um, happy Father's Day to those of you watching online. If you are watching online, thanks for joining us. You can feel free to engage in the comment section with any of the links that come through. And feel free to put in your own comments as well. I've had the privilege of being a dad for the last 10 years. And every day is, yeah. Um, it explains why I have no hair on the top of my head, but uh, it's, it's also a joy and a privilege as well. If you're just joining us, we're in a series called Galatians, where we're looking at a book of the Bible. It's actually a letter to a city in Galatia, to a church specifically, and they're writing to this church and talking about a number of different things. If you are just now joining us and you haven't heard any of those messages, those are all available on our website, and so you can go back and watch or listen to any of those messages at any time. And then this is also on a podcast, too, if you prefer to just listen. If you're driving somewhere, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to dig right in in just a moment, but I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered about God's intentions for things? You ever wondered, like, what, God, what are you up to? Like, why do you do some of the things you do? Or more specifically, uh, we can put this on the screen. You have the question of, like, God, why do you do whatever it is, fill in the blank, or why don't you do a specific thing? You can fill in the blank how you see fit. We have these questions for God, trying to understand his intentions, and sometimes they're maybe just simple questions. The one I heard the most when I was in student ministries is, why, does, uh, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Raise your hand if you've asked that question or wondered that question before, or, um, or maybe, maybe simple questions like, why does God allow the Detroit Lions to be so bad? Uh, that's a question that comes up. Sometimes my kids ask the question, why is God invisible? Like, that's a good, curious question. And then sometimes those questions come at harder points in life, at, at times where there's been a lot of difficulty, like, God, why do you allow suffering? Why did Jesus actually have to die? Why did it take death for us to get new life? That's a good question to ask. Or 
Why couldn't God just take away coronavirus? Why couldn't he just take it away? And some of us, we add these qualifiers to God and we expect him to have a certain kind of responsibility. Like we'll say this, if God was so powerful, then he should fill in the blank. If he was so powerful, why couldn't he just whatever it is? And we struggle with those. And those are hard questions to ask. And then sometimes if we don't feel like we have an adequate answer, it makes us frustrated. It makes us confused. It makes us question God's love and his intentions in our world. And those are good questions to ask. Those are actually not bad. It's not as though you should be shamed for asking those questions. That's actually healthy as part of our faith formation. And so what actually is happening or is about to happen in this section of the letter that we're going to get into is Paul is sort of anticipating this question from his audience, specifically as it relates to the law, which is what we've been talking about, the Torah, the 613 laws that the Jews were given, that the people of God were given to follow, but then ultimately God comes along in Jesus and begins to talk about grace and gives them a new understanding of the law. So Paul is anticipating this question, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But I want us to think about this through a specific lens or read this through a specific viewpoint. So sometimes I think when we ask those questions, which are good questions to ask about God, why does God allow certain things, why God doesn't do certain things, is we, we sort of put God on the witness stand, like in a courtroom sort of setting. And we want to we put him to the test. And, and that's okay. God can handle it. He can take it. He's powerful, right, if we truly believe that he's mighty. Uh, but I think what's also equally important for us as we go through this sort of mental uh, gymnastics of questioning God's intentions is we should also put ourselves on the stand in a sense, too. Like, we have free will. We have agency in some of the things that we choose to do or not do. So, for instance, a lot of times this question will come up is, like, why does God allow global poverty and hunger? Like, why does God allow that? That seems like a really non-compassionate thing to do. But we could turn that question around and say, okay, so all of us hum humans who have knowledge of these things in the world, who have knowledge of poverty, who have knowledge of hunger, and actually have the resources to be able to come at the problem with a solution, why do we allow global poverty and hunger? If, I mean, so what I want to do is... I actually want to take us both off the witness stand for just a moment as we go through this next section. Take God off the witness stand. Take yourself off the witness stand. And we're going to look at the history and the context. And I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this, this message and this section of Scripture is, is strange. It's cumbersome. It kind of feels like we're going to be up and down on a roller coaster and winding around. We're going to be talking about some historical things, some ancient things, some present things. So it's going to be a little all over the place. So I hope you drank your coffee this morning. Here we go. Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would, be, uh, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise, but God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. 
But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement, but God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. I don't know if this is a newer chunk of scripture for any of you, or if you're brand new to the Bible, it's certainly new, and there's a whole lot going on here. I mentioned there's some history, there's some context that has to be unpacked a little bit, and I'm going to try to be brief but clear as I unpack some of that so that we can get to where we're going in the message. So first of all, we're talking about Abraham. Last week, Nathan talked about Abraham. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, there's a whole lot there. He talks specifically about Abraham's promise that he would be receiving a child, uh, in Isaac, his son Isaac would be born. Uh, there's also a, a greater sense of understanding this promise uh, that Abraham was given. Now, he talks about getting a child. We'll get to that in just a second. But he also talks about this promise that he would be blessed to be a blessing. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before, blessed to be a blessing. So in a sense, you're going to uh, be blessed. You are going to be set apart. You're going to be chosen, but for a task, for a specific purpose, a blessing to the nations. So, so yes, you are set apart and you are chosen, but it's going to go beyond you. You need to realize that. Like it's going to go to the nations, to the people who are not like you, who are not part of your family, to the ethnicities is what that word can be translated to essentially in the New Testament. So blessed to be a blessing. Now the problem with that is that what we see throughout history and throughout the Old Testament is Abraham does receive that blessing. He is set apart, but over the course of history, uh, they don't really share that gift. They don't share that blessing. It becomes quite an issue, actually, because they don't go outside of the family. They sort of hoard it for themselves. It's as if they have received a gift, that Abraham received this present, and it was all wrapped, uh, but he never really opened it, and his family never really opened it. And if they would have opened it, they would have realized that this was actually for the people beyond them. And so they kind of hoarded this gift for themselves. Have you ever hoarded a gift for yourself that you then realized that it was actually for others? I'll give a really simple illustration. When our kids were younger, um, my son Jude is older, and uh, we have twin girls as well. And sometimes for Christmas, we'd get a gift that would be for all of the kids, maybe a board game or something like that. And, but the, the problem is, is Jude was the only one that was old enough to actually open the gift. The other two were, you know, walking around chewing on the paper and, you know, doing other things with it that we don't need to talk about. But uh, Jude would get the gift, and in our minds, we're thinking, okay, he's going to be the one to open it because he's the only one that can do it. But once he opens it, he's going to realize, oh, this is a gift for all three of us kids, right? But he's young, right? And his brain hasn't fully developed yet. So we, if we physically hand him the gift, he receives it and is like, oh, another Christmas gift for me. And then runs off and, you know, he, he thinks it's his gift. He thinks it's his and he owns the gift. Only if he were to realize that once he opened up that gift, he would realize, oh, no, no, it is for me, yes, but it's also for others. It's for my sisters. This is the best way I can feel like I can describe what has happened. You are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. 
and they don't do that. They hoard the gift for themselves. So that's, all of that is sort of packed into this little section uh, about Abraham and this promise that he's received. Now he's also received the promise of the child, and Paul just goes right to it. He's like, that of course means Christ. But again, if you're newer to the faith, newer to the Bible, let me just unpack that section for a moment. Abraham's lineage would ultimately lead to Christ. So, so Jesus, the, the person 2,000 years ago, finds himself in this Hebrew-slash-Israelite-slash-Jewish family. So he is part of that lineage, and it leads to Christ. Now, what Abraham has promised is part of this blessing, you're blessed to be a blessing, is that there is going to be this messianic age, this, this messianic figure, if you will, who will come and who will actually complete this process, essentially, of being that blessing to the nations, But that doesn't mean that Abraham and his descendants and his family can just sort of sit back and wait for it all to happen, wait for it to unfold. No, no, they actually have to be part of that process. They are actually included into that task of being a blessing to the world and to the nations. But they fail. They fail miserably at their task. And so along the way, they're given the law. Now, Paul talks about this little section here, the canceled the 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. So in order to talk about the why was the law given, we also have to establish when the law was given, because that can actually help us understand more of the why the law was given. So let me go back again in history. We're talking about Abraham. 430 years later is when we get to Moses. Now, that is just a small section of the Bible. We get pretty much all of Genesis and into Exodus. That's about that time frame. So what has happened is after God has given this promise to Abraham, a whole lot of hot mess goes on in Genesis. If you want to read a daytime soap opera, read Genesis. Uh, It's interesting with all kinds of scandal and other kinds of things that uh, you probably couldn't even talk about in elementary school, okay? So, like, there's some intense stuff going on in Genesis, and it's a whole mess, It's a huge mess. And God's people find themselves in all kinds of issues and scandals and brokenness. And uh, and at one point, actually, uh, you can read in Genesis chapter 11, there's a story of the Tower of Babel. These people, this people of God, they become expert brick makers and make this incredible, beautiful tower. And they actually think that they can sort of reach to the heavens, reach to the divine without God's help. They can do it on their own. They think themselves quite clever to be able to go after the heavens, only to realize that it all crumbles down. And actually what happens is their expertise in brick-making becomes their downfall. Because what happens before Moses shows up is they find themselves in another nation with a people who don't like them, who don't want them, who actually have enslaved them and have begun to exploit them, guess what, for their brick-making skills. And they become brick-makers as slaves and develop the nation of Egypt under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. And then for hundreds of years, they're enslaved. They're in a foreign land. And they're dehumanized. And then Moses shows up. This sort of savior-like figure, almost like a messianic figure, if you will, who's going to liberate them out of their enslavement from Egypt. 
And there's a whole lot to the story, but ultimately Moses is able to lead God's people out of Egypt and toward the place where God has in store for them so that they can once again reestablish this sort of set-apartness so that they can be a blessing to the nations. But there's a process to get to that point. It doesn't just happen overnight, right? Like, if you're enslaved for hundreds of years, coming out of that is going to take some time. It's going to take some time to reinvent uh, your, your, yourself, your people, your nation, but also you're going to have to reimagine your understanding of who God is and what God is doing in the midst of your situation. You've just been enslaved for hundreds of years. That doesn't just fix itself overnight. And so what happens is God then provides the law. Now, when you hear the word law, we tend to, in our context, just think of like rules and regulations, uh, but there's not necessarily a negative context right away when they receive the law. So what has happened is they need to essentially reinvent themselves, re-understand how to connect with God. In a way, what God is providing is a way for them to do that, a, a sense of renewal and restoration and hope for them to reimagine their connection, their relationship with God, which would have been a radical idea in the ancient world. Most of the understanding is that your connection to the gods was transactional. This God is a God who wants to commit himself to his people. And so we get the first batch of laws, if you will. We call them the Ten Commandments. Now, again, that word commandments, we think as a sort of a neg negative connotation. We think rules and regulations. But that word commandments just simply means sayings. There's another theologian that equates the Ten Commandments to actually like vows, like wedding vows. You've all been to weddings before, I'm sure. You've stood there and watched the bride and the groom, and they're, they're sharing the promises with one another of what they're committing to, and nobody in the audience is going, boo, that's horrible, bunch of rules and regulations, caring for her in sickness and in health. That just sounds so dominating, you know? No, these are beautiful promises. I'm going to cherish you. I'm going to love you. Ten Commandments are seen as a sense of God saying, I'm committing to you, my bride, my people of Israel. I'm going to love you. I'm going to cherish you. And, and there is going to be sort of this reciprocal relationship that is happening here. These aren't rules and regulations. These are parameters for how to do life. Now, eventually, that does develop into 613 laws, and there are some things in there that we might look at in our modern mindset and be like, oh, that's a little strange, that's a little weird. But again, imagine they are a people who have come out of hundreds of years of enslavement and oppression. They have to reinvent their understanding of who they are as a people and who God is as their God. I think about it like this. Somebody, somebody uh, gave this illustration of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. So somebody who is at a point in their life where they're desperate, maybe they're at rock bottom because of some of the choices that they've made or, or some of the things that they've fallen into. And so they go to a group meeting. Now a group meeting like AA has steps, right? There's 12 steps. And nobody's looking at that like, oh, just a bunch of rules and regulations. No, no, no. This is all part of a process, an intentional purposeful process to experience healing and renewing and restoration and to get back into a new understanding of life, to be able to re-enter society in a whole new way. Now, the goal is that once you get out of those 12 steps, uh, that you re-enter society 
to not necessarily repeat the steps. You don't go back and do those over and over and over again. You might need to from time to time if, if you're really struggling, and that's, that's part of the process, but the goal is that you sort of move on from the 12 steps and have a reimagined way of living. See, what Paul's talking about with the law, the 613 laws, is that this was, there, there was a positive aspect of this. To, to rehumanize these people who have been enslaved for hundreds of years, to give them some steps to pursue healing and restoration and to develop a new understanding of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. But there's more beyond it. We're going to get to that in just a second. There is more beyond just the steps, just the rules. They need a renewed sense of living. And so, we get to Jesus, eventually, right? We get to Jesus. But before we do that, some of you might be asking yourself the question, why did it take so long for Jesus to come? Like, why couldn't he have been the one who showed up in Egypt and then said, actually, we've got a whole new way of figuring this thing out. You're not going to be enslaved anymore. And actually, we're just going to fast forward to, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. Or, you know what? Actually, I don't even need to die on the cross. I'm just going to tell you all that this is what this is going to be like, right? Like, why can't we just fast forward to Jesus? Why does there have to be this 430 years of hot mess and then enslavement and then getting the law, and then even after the law, there's a whole lot more years. In fact, between the time of Abraham to the time of Jesus is close to maybe 1,700 years. That's a bit debated, but that's, that's a long period of time, right? Like, why couldn't we just fast forward to Jesus? Why couldn't Jesus just show up and be like, hey, here's the set of rules. You're not going to be able to follow them, uh, so let me just do it on your behalf, and then we'll just go on our merry way. Why couldn't we just fast forward to that moment when Jesus shows up as this messianic figure, this hopeful figure, and fix it all? And we could talk about that. We could talk about the intentionality of why Jesus shows up, when he shows up to a particular time and place and to a specific ethnic group. And we could talk about the cultural and socioeconomic and political challenges that were all just ripe for Jesus to show up in that moment in history, right? We could talk about that, and there's another time and place for that conversation. But let me answer the question with another question. Would it have made any difference for the people of God when Jesus showed up? Would it have changed the way that they behaved? Would they have changed their sense of understanding of who God is? Would they have been fully committed to God? So because what happens is when Jesus shows up, they don't really change all that much. I mean, some of them do, but a very small group of people do. They don't actually, uh, it, it doesn't really settle a whole lot for everyone. See, 1,700 years or so has led to this people continuing to hoard this gift for themselves, thinking themselves as chosen and set apart, but never sharing that, never going outside of their family and actually being a blessing to the nations. When you've got hundreds of years of living this way, that sticks in your core, that sticks in, into who you are. So you never, you have lived generation after generation of never sharing this thing with others. What happens when Jesus shows up on the scene is to say, hey, uh, you have forgotten to be a blessing to the nations. 
The kingdom of God is here for all to enjoy. And he actually starts interacting with non-Jewish people. He starts interacting with Gentiles and actually including them into the family of God. And it enrages the people of God. Part of the reason he gets crucified because they think he's speaking blasphemy. But this was always meant to be the plan all the way back to Abraham. They were always meant to be the people of God who were blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus shows up and says, all right, we're going to get you back on track because the law didn't do what it was supposed to do, apparently, for you to help guide you, to help you be that chosen people who would be a blessing to the nation. You couldn't be faithful to it. You couldn't be faithful to God. So now I'm going to set us on track. We're going to reimagine what it looks like to be a blessing to the nations, and they kill him for it. They crucify him. Would it have changed anything if Jesus showed up earlier? Let me ask you. For those of us who have questions for God, God, why would you do this? Why don't you do that? We're now 2,000 years after Jesus shows up on the scene. Does it change our behavior? Knowing what Jesus has done, knowing what we're called to for those of us who call ourselves Christians, knowing that we are called to be a blessing to others as well. Does it change the way that we live and behave? If Jesus were to come at a different point in history, what if Jesus were to come today? Would we recognize him? Would we see him for who he is? Would we heed his call to follow him? We can put God on the witness stand, but we should equally put ourselves on the witness stand when we ask these questions, it's important to understand. And then finally, we get to verse 19. Why was the law given? Paul just gives it to us straight. To show us our sin. To reveal our sin and our brokenness. For students, you're just finishing up your school year. Uh, you probably had to take some tests, some finals, right? And that is all there to show you how much you retained your information or if you retained any of your information for that matter, right? So if you fail the test, well, that reveals something about the information that you remembered that you studied for or didn't study for. Or maybe you just have test anxiety like me. You're like, I knew all of the information. I just get really nervous when I get in that moment and I have to fill out all these little bubbles. And I'm like, no, I meant, I meant to write D, no. Uh, but it reveals something when you're in those moments. The people of God are sort of put to a test and they failed miserably. The law simply revealed that they could never commit to God perfectly. They could never be perfectly obedient to God in order to be in right standing with God. It was meant to show them their inability to do so. Now, for some of you, that, that settles it for you. Okay, that makes sense. On one hand, we've got the law that's set there. It's, it's set in motion uh, to, to help this group of people sort of come back to God, renew their relationship with God. So there is a positive aspect to the law in that particular time and place. But we also recognize that it was temporary. It was never meant to be all that, uh, the, the, whole, the whole process of healing. But on the other hand, also, it's there to fully show us that we were incapable of following God perfectly on our own. For some of you, that, that settles it, right? Paul's answer settles it. But for the others, 
For this one, the law was sent to, to show us our inability, to show us our wick, wickedness, to show us our sin. And it was there for like 1,700 years or so before Jesus showed up. That seems like teasing, kind of. That seems like God's messing with us. Wait a second, you mean to show me that, to, or to tell me that you had this law, you knew that we were never going to follow it to begin with, but yet you let us experience all this trauma, all this dehumanization, all this exile and enslavement and oppression and difficulty, only to realize that that was never going to be the thing to begin with? That it was going to be about Jesus and his grace and his death on the cross? You've got to be kidding me. God, what are you doing? And so we question God. God, why would you allow such suffering? But see, I think what we do is we put God's grace on a timeline as though God's grace only showed up in Jesus, that it was never present to begin with. But here's the thing. God's grace actually showed up right away with Abraham to say, hey, I'm allowing you to be part of this process. I'm inviting you to be part of the family of God so that you can invite others to also be part of the family of God and have this renewed sense of living. God's grace was always there to begin with. Jesus was always part of the plan. It didn't matter when he would show up. We put God's grace on a timeline. We put limits on it. God's grace has always been there. Are we willing to be part of it, to step into God's grace? But also, God knows us. He knows our humanity. He designed us. He, he understands how this is going to work. Uh, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? And ultimately what happens is they decide for themselves that they don't need God. Yes, we could talk about that they ate of the fruit and they weren't supposed to do that, but there's an intention behind that. They have to decide why they're choosing to break that rule. They're convinced that you're not going to die. No, no, no. In fact, you're going to be smarter than God. You'll be like God if you do this. That's what made them do it. They can be their own God. Let's talk less about when Jesus showed up or how grace works. Let's just talk about humans' intentions. We think we don't need God. We're in control. I've got it all figured out. I know how to live this life. I've, I've lived long enough to, to kind of figure out some things. I, I know how to get by. I'll be just fine. This is at the core of who we are. And here's the thing, Jesus shows up and still people aren't changed because we're not easily convinced of our flaws, are we? Let me just give you an example. Uh, when is the last time that, in maybe just the last week, that somebody in your family came to you and pointed out a flaw in you and said, hey, I don't like the way you do that thing. Or hey, the way you put the dishes away, uh, that's, that's not okay. Or hey, when we're in this argument, you always kind of do this thing. How many of us respond with, oh, thank you so much for telling me that information. 
I just, I just love you so much more. It's, I, you're just the most honest person I know. I'm so grateful to be in a relationship with you. Thank you. And if I have any other flaws, would you please tell me right now in this moment? Now I'm assuming you're clapping because you're like, yes, that is absolutely how I respond and I'm going to do it again today. Okay. No, if it's me, if it's me, like internally, I'm like putting up my, I'm like sweating, putting my fists together. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to resist. I'm like, how dare you point out flaws in me? I am a man of God. I am a pastor. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. Don't whistle at that. <laughs> if you only knew. No, we're not easily convinced of our flaws, are we? We're not just readily willing to like, be like, yeah, you're, you're so right. No. No, because we, we think we know better. We think we don't need God, ultimately. And so Paul says, this is why the law came. To show us our patterns of brokenness and that we keep going back to them, keep going back to them. But also to show that it was temporary. It wasn't ever meant to be the solution completely. Now, for some of you in the room, and some of you watching online, that, that settled it for you. Like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. You've been wrestling through that as we've gone throughout this letter to the Galatians. Like, well, why on earth do we have the law if it was ultimately about grace? And now you see it, and you're like, okay, cool, cool. But for some of us, we're still asking some of those more philosophical questions, and that's why I described it. it this kind of feels like a turning, winding, looping roller coaster, right? Like we have these really kind of profound thoughts and questions like, yeah, but still, I don't, I don't understand God's intention. I still don't understand like why all of this suffering would happen. Why would certain things be allowed? And those are good questions. In fact, I want to affirm that you're asking those questions. Please don't ever feel ashamed that you have questions, but also explore those questions. Ex why we have something called explore in the life journey, to be able to do that in community. Don't just try to ask those questions and answer them all by yourself. That's not the point of what this journey is all about. Ask those questions. Don't be afraid of those questions. Do that in community and leave room for some mystery as well. The, the moment I try to put God into a box, he blows it up anyway. Isaiah chapter 55 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We sang a song a moment ago, You have called me higher, you have called me deeper. And then when we get to that point, he calls us higher again. God's ways are higher his ways are deeper. His ways are more profound. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. There is some mystery there. And we do have to be okay with that to an extent. Keep asking questions. Leave room for mystery. But also think about this. Think of the alternative. Think of what God, God could have done, right? So, so let's go back to that moment where we're struggling a little bit of like, okay, here's the law. Now, you're never going to follow it to begin with, so let's just fast forward to Jesus, right? Like, that's where we want to go. We just want to escape the pain, escape the suffering, just move on from the complexities of life. What God could have done, though, is he could have revealed something to us to say, hey, I'm going to give you this law, and in fact, 
I want to let you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna meet its requirements. You're not gonna obey it perfectly. And so, because you're flawed, uh, you're the issue. You know what? We're just gonna get rid of the whole thing altogether. We're just gonna burn all of this up, and I'm gonna start over from scratch. God could have done that, and yet we have pages and pages and pages and stories of people who have failed over and over and over and over again. And God continues to give them grace, continues to give them chances. We could say God continues to relentlessly pursue one more, even though they're going to be unfaithful. And still after that is when Jesus shows up to show God's faithfulness. Even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. That's why God's grace is powerful. See, the law showed up. The, the law was given, and it pointed out our weaknesses, right? But it was temporary. It was temporary. See, showing you that you have a problem isn't in and of itself a solution. It's only half the battle. If you go to the doctor and they say, yep, you've got this uh, illness, you don't just leave the office at that point. Now they start to talk about the treatment or what medications you're going to take or what therapy you're going to have to take, right? Like they have to give you an antidote to the problem. Paul is saying the law is not the solution to the problem. It's just there to identify that there is a problem. We've got to go to the solution. Jesus comes on the scene and he actually lives out. He's the law giver because he's present with God if we believe in the Trinity, right? He's present with God as the law is given, but then when he comes, he actually lives out the law perfectly. He does the thing that none of us could ever imagine, none of us could ever do. And then he just says, now believe in me and follow me and trust in me and experience freedom. Jesus shows up on the scene and he fixes it. So here, here's how I want to condense all of this. I was thinking this, this week about uh, an illustration that might be helpful for those of us who are a little bit more visual. Imagine you get a flat tire. You're on the side of the road. You get a flat tire, right? You got to change that tire. And uh, you may or may not know this. I, I hope you know this because we're in Motor City, right? Like you have a spare tire in another part of your vehicle that is available to you that you can put on in place of the flat tire. So you take a flat tire off, you put it in the back or wherever. Hopefully you don't just leave it on the side of the road, although I've seen plenty of those as well. But you put it there in the car so that you can eventually take it in to get it fixed. Now, once you put the spare tire on, it looks a little funky, right? It looks a little small. It looks like, I don't think this is going to take me where I want to go. But it's that's intentional, right? It's, it's meant to be there to show you that one of these things is not like the other. And then you can go into the mechanic. Hopefully, you can get to the mechanic okay and get your tire fixed, right? The spare tire is only there just temporarily, okay? Some of you, this is like the first time you're ever hearing this, all right? It's just there temporarily. It's to show you, to remind you that you need to get the real thing fixed. And hopefully, it's just going to take you a little while. Now, you don't expect to go across the country on a spare tire. It cannot bear the weight of your car or the speed or the distance that you're wanting to travel. That's the point of a spare tire. You've got to get the real thing into a mechanic, and the mechanic is going to fix it so that you can get that real tire back on, and that can bear the weight. That can go the distance. This is how I think about the law. The law is a spare tire. It's temporary. 
It's temporary. It's not going to last. It cannot bear the weight of your sin and your brokenness. It can reveal something. It can show you that you have an issue. It can remind you it's a glaring thing, like, i got to get that thing fixed. But then you've got to go in and get that thing fixed. And we've got to go to our mechanic. I'm sorry to be cheesy, but our mechanic is Jesus. All right, that's the Sunday school answer. And what's going to happen is you're going to take out that brokenness that is your flat tire and give it to Jesus, and he's going to repair it, and he's going to put it back on so that you can drive. Here's what I think about this. Because sometimes, you know, we try to put together, like, action steps, and I'm reading through this scripture, I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, I don't know, like, what, like, next practical steps people should take. And sometimes they reveal themselves more easily in some other messages. This one, it just didn't. But as I continued to think a little bit more about the spare tire imagery, I was thinking that some of you listening right now, listening today, maybe listening later on the podcast, I got this image or vision that some of you are driving around with a spare tire and expecting to go the distance, expecting to drive across the country and expecting that it's going to be able to bear the weight and the distance and the speed of your car only to realize that that thing, that spare tire, is probably going to break down very quickly and it's actually going to do more damage to the rest of your car. Some of you are driving around with a spare tire, and I don't mean you're trying to follow the 613 Torah laws. That's not what I'm talking about. I think that spare tire represents something else. Something else that you're leaning on to take you through this life, this journey we call life. And you're putting all of your weight, all of your hope and your trust on this spare tire. You're expecting it to do something that it could never do, like the real thing could. And I think ultimately, like this pattern of humanity that we see, I think what that might mean for some of you is that you think you can do life without God. I think your spare tire is, I don't, I don't need God. Yeah, I'll, I'll go to church, you know, because that seems like the right thing to do from time to time. I'll get my quota in. But you don't really depend on God. And so I think you're driving around in a spare tire. And all the while, there is this flat tire that is glaring that needs to be addressed. And I want to invite you to Jesus, to come into a relationship to Jesus, to, to, to meet a new mechanic, if you will, to get that tire fixed, to get it put on so that you can be driven by new life. I think that's for some of you. But then that illustration kind of kept going as I went throughout my week. I started driving around, and it's summer, and so like everywhere I turn, everybody's got a Jeep Wrangler. They got their top down, their foot's hanging out the side because they can, because they don't have a door. It's so cool. And you're thinking that illustration that I gave about the spare tire is like, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. Check out the back of my Jeep Wrangler. That's the real thing. So if I get a flat tire, I can just take the real thing off and put it on, and nobody's going to know any difference, right? I don't have a spare tire. I got the real thing. All the while, there is still a flat tire that is maybe in the back of your Jeep, or maybe you had it in your garage, but nobody else knows about it because everything looks normal. Everything looks put together because you got all four tires on there. 
Still got to get that other one fixed. I think there are Christians who've got it all put together. On the surface, everything looks good. Everything looks like it's, yeah, it's all matching up. You have said yes to Jesus. You, you have believed that belief that you do need God. You've said a prayer. You, you've got Bible verses memorized. You come to church every single week. But there's still a flat tire that's back in your garage that hasn't been addressed. I think there are those of us who call ourselves Christians. We put Jesus-y things on certain things that we do in our lives, but internally there's a mess going on. And we've done a really good job of concealing it. We've gotten really good at hiding things. And everything looks good on the surface. And and maybe when pain and suffering and challenges come along, I, I just got this thought or sensation from God that I think for some of you, the the Jeep Wrangler people, I think for some of you, what you're concealing is that you you can buy your problems away. So you've got Jesus, but you've also got your bank account. That's looking really good. And so when something comes along, you can just fix it with money. And so learning how to trust in God has never really had to take place because you've been able to fix problems by being a good consumer. Maybe for some of you, that flat tire that isn't being addressed is your marriage. You both are faithful people, people of God, but there's just some things that you can't seem to come together on. That's really, really hard. And maybe you're driving around for a while and it's, it's okay, it's okay. But if, if you get a flat tire again, now you don't have that spare because you didn't get that other one fixed. And maybe for some of you, it's just an internal emotional battle that you're dealing with. Whatever fears and anxieties that you're struggling with and maybe you're keeping it to yourself because maybe you were told at some point that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have issues with your mental health. That is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. We're broken. (laughs) We got issues. I have an old friend, he said, I don't have issues, I got the subscription. I'm like, okay. we We got flaws. It's okay never meant to have it all together. But Jesus does. And so I want to invite all of us into that beautiful, lasting, sustainable relationship. He's the mechanic that fixes us so that we can drive. So we can bless others as well. Because that was always meant to be the plan. I do want to give you some action steps. These are maybe a little bit different than normal. For those of you who feel like you're driving around with a spare tire and you've convinced yourself you don't need God, but maybe you're having second thoughts about that. I want to invite you here in the room and online to fill out a Connect card today. Now, normally we say fill out a Connect card if you want to get connected, if you want to sign up for an event or more information. I want you to use the Connect card in a different way today. 
And if you don't have one with you, that's okay. You can get one at the back table or as you leave here today. For those of you online, you have access. For those of you who want to go on your phone, go to the Now page. Connect card is right at the top. I want you to fill out a Connect card, and I want you to openly and honestly share what is that spare tire? What does that represent for you? Just begin to journal that out. And we want to take those cards and we want to pray for you. We want to connect with you. And then number two, I, I want to, again, invite you to our family movie event this coming Wednesday. We're going to be watching a movie Inside Out. It is a children's movie, but it's actually really, really profound. We're going to continue to learn what it means to, to be emotionally healthy in our relationship with God. I think sometimes when we're in relationship with God, we hide our emotions. We think that that's unspiritual. That's contrary to the truth. And specifically, high school students, middle school students, we're going to stick around after the movie and we're going to just talk. We're going to process some of those things. It's absolutely healthy. But then just, I want to kind of do a big sweep of everybody. I want to invite you to stand. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you've been driving around in that spare tire, I want to create this moment now for you to be able to do that. And you can pray along with me, something like this. God, I have been driving around putting a whole lot of weight on this spare tire, whatever it is that that represents, your title, your success, your money, or just simply not believing in God. I could do it on my own. I'm smart enough. I'm talented enough. I pray for those of us in the room who have realized at some point or another, I'm going to have to change that tire. And so, God, I am turning over my trust to you, and I recognize there's a cost to it. Sometimes I don't want to take that car in because there's a cost associated, and I'm not sure I'm ready to and willing to pay that cost. But today, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my hope in you. And then for those of us who have done a good job of concealing what's going on beneath the surface, we've already said yes to you, Jesus, but we haven't necessarily given over control because we like the control. God, I pray that we would release that control. We would trust you. We put our hope, our faith in the everlasting God. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And as you're processing through uh, what you heard, uh, that metaphor of the spare tire, the flat tire, um, I encourage you to, to really, uh, you know, if you need to journal, to, to journal that out, if you just need to spend some time in prayer to do that. Um, but also don't do that alone. And so uh, that's part of the reason why I encourage you to fill out a connect card so that we can help you walk that journey as well. So uh, make sure to fill out a connect card on our website. Um, uh, we also have links available on the show page notes in the podcast. Um, you can always go to lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And at the top of the page, relatively close to the top of the page, there's a button that says connect card. You can click on that, fill out some information about yourself. Uh, maybe even some of the things that you're wrestling through, uh, or, or maybe just a prayer, um, for hope, for healing, whatever it might be. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. Um, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you back here soon.